Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shurim and Dafyomi. My name is Yitzchak Yat Shalom. We're now in Masachat Shabbat Tafkuf Tet Vav Amud Aleph. About to begin our study of the 16th chapter of Masachat Shabbat, Kol Kitve HaKodesh. Uh, in the handout, I gave a fairly extensive introduction to the parak, identifying the underlying issues, uh, where it's really about the malacha of kibui, of putting out a fire, and in what circumstances we allowed someone to uh, perhaps violate a, a shvut, a, a drabonan, in order to keep them from instinctively putting out a fire. And we'll start with the issue of Kitve Kodesh of a Sefer Torah or other holy scrolls that are endangered by fire on Shabbat. Kol Kitve Kodesh Matzilinotan Ne'adlekat. Whether or not, meaning whether they are used for public reading or not, they are saved on Shabbat. We'll see the details of that later on. Meaning to what kind of area they saved, what level of carrying is violated. And even though they might be written in any other language, and that also means any other script, they need to be buried if they are no longer used, and they are also saved on Shabbat. Why would there be scrolls that we do not publicly read from? So as to keep uh, the Beit Midrash session from being uh, interrupted with that study, we'll see more details about that in the next podcast. Let's say things were written in Aramaic or in any other language. We do not save them. We do. According to the opinion, we're going to see this later on, that you're allowed to read for publicly from scrolls written in other scripts and languages. Everybody agrees that we save them. According to the position that says you may not publicly read from them, that's where the machlokit is. Since you can't read them publicly, we don't save them. There's nonetheless a degradation to Kitve Kodesh, which is why we are saving them. Now, the Machloket may come down to one of two approaches. Either the Machloket is that whether or not the threshold for saving something is high, and therefore it has to be something that has enough sanctity, a safer that is enough sanctity that can be read from publicly, and Rav Chista would say, as long as it has some sanctity, that's enough. Or it may be a utilitarian machloket. Rav Huna says that we save them because they're going to be used for public reading. And therefore, if they're not used, they're not used. And Rav Chista says, no, it's really an issue of saving a degradation of Kitviyah Kodesh. So we'll, we'll, uh, that won't be clarified, but just to point out two different approaches to the machloket. Now, let's test this. Tnan, our Mishnah seems to go against Rav Huna. So my love, Shekorim Bahem means Nevi'im. V'she'en Korim Bahem means Ketuvim, the third part of Tanakh. Even though they're written in other languages, we still save them, even though we don't read from them. So the Mishnah explicitly says things that we do not publicly read from, we still save. So Ravuna could answer, think about it. Look at the end of that statement. We have to bury these things. If we're going to violate Shabbat to some degree to save them, certainly they need Geniza. No reason to mention that. Meaning the Mishnah, one way or the other, needs a little bit of... of um, 
of, of uh, finessing, and Rav Chisto will finesse the Mishnah and interpret it in a way that fits their own position. That's only if they're written in Ivrit and proper script. Any of the language But even though we don't save them, So Gniza is mentioning the lower level of things which aren't saved on Shabbat from a fire, but nonetheless have to be buried. Rav Chisto will interpret the Mishnah according to his approach. Bein shekoyin b'hem means nevi'im. Bein shekoyin b'hem means k'tuvim. And again, we'll see why k'tuvim is knocked out of that in the next podcast. We still save them. This is what it means. Not only the text itself, but even the uh, the erosion, the pieces of the text that might have uh, fallen out, still have to have to have gniza. You can't just dispose of them. Okay. Watch this challenge. So here explicitly, the Brightus says that if they're written in Targum or in any language, we save them exactly like Rav Chista to Rav Huna. Matana could be of the opinion that we do read from them publicly, which I will agree. If you read from them publicly, you do save them. Toshma, we got another bright type, which means Egyptian. Madit, Ivrit, and I give an example of Tavivri on the text. Elamit, Yevanit, all of these different scripts. And even though we may not read from them publicly, so this is following the opinion that you may not read from something written in anything but Ketav Ashuri, Aramaic script, we still save them. So that's an explicit to Yuftar Rav Huna, because Rav Huna says, according to the opinion that you don't read from them, you don't save them. Rav Huna could say, Tanai, that really this issue is a machloket tanaim, and I'm taking one position. The tanya, here we go. Hayuktuim targum of cholashon, written in any other language. But sidim tam neadlikah, we save them. Rabbi Yossi Omer, emat sidim tam we don't save them. And Amar Rabbi Yossi, there's various versions in the Tosefta where this is from, but in our version, Rabbi Yossi explicitly said, we don't save them. Amar Rabbi Yossi, ma'aseba, abachalav, abachalavta, that's Rabbi Yossi's own father. Shalach etz Rabbi Gamliel beribi litiberia. He followed Rabbi Gamliel. I mean, Rabbi Gamliel of Yavne to Tiberia. Umetzaosha Yosef al Shuchano shall Rabbi Yochanan ben Nizof. He was sitting at this person's table. Oviado Sefer Iov Targum Lukorebon. He was reading a book of Iov in Aramaic. Amarlo Zachor and Rabbi Gamliel of Yavicha. And so this fellow said to, so Rabbi said to Rabbi I remember your grandfather, Rabbi Hazakin. Gamliel lived during the end of the Beit HaMikdash, before the end. And he was on a uh, on a pedestal on Har Habayit. They brought him such a book. He told the builder, Bury this underneath a brick, which means, first of all, you can't have it, but second, not you're not allowed to use it. On the other hand, it's Gniza. So, and so therefore, Megamliel, the grandson, then told this Rehoboam also to bury the book. So Rabbi Yossi is using this to support the idea that Ein Korin by him, but he himself also said in Matzadeo time. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yudo, Mer, Arivashal, Tit Kafualav, it wasn't a brick, it was rather some mortar. I'm a Rebbe, so Rebbe hearing this much later says, There's two answers to this. And they don't use mortar on harbait. You're not allowed to take such books and destroy them, put mortar on them, or bury them. You bury them if, if they're no longer usable. 
You leave them in a place where they'll erode, and they erode on their own if we're not allowed to use them. Okay, so now, Mantanoi, you claim that the issue of Ravuna was a Machloka Tanaim. Ravuna was claiming Machloka Tanaim. Who are the Tanaim? If it's the first opinion in this Tosefta and Rabiosi, maybe they disagree. Tanakama says you save them because you read from them, and Rabiosi says you may not read from them, therefore you don't save them. That's what they said. It's who said you don't read from them and you don't save them, and the Tana of the Brighta beforehand who mentioned the different languages, Giptit, etc., who said that even though you do not read from them, you do save them. Okay. Tana Rabbanan, ha-brachot People who would write brachot on little, uh, little uh, small pieces of parchment or amulets. Even though they have God's name, they'll have little passages from the Torah. We don't save them if there's a fire. They get burned up in their place. With God's name. So therefore they said, People who would write brachot on these little scrolls, it's like they're burning the Torah, because if a fire happens, they can't be saved on Shabbat in those circumstances. It has to do with uh, what level of caring is involved. There was a fellow in Saidan on the Kinaret who was writing such things. They told Rabbi Shmuel that he was writing Kmein and Brachot. He went to check him out. Rabbi Shmuel was going up the loft to his ladder, the ladder to his loft. The fellow felt that he was there. He took a whole bundle of these Brachot and put it into a bucket of waters to not get caught. Well, then said, the punishment for what you just did is worse than what you were doing before. But what you were doing before, you were writing a text that may get burned up. Here, you took them with your own hands and destroyed them in water. So he asked Let's say of a Sefer Torah that's written with an improper ink, a non-permanent ink, uh, we had dealt with these different uh, substances back in uh, discussing Ketiva, uh, back in Perak HaBoneb. Um, uh, but it's written in Mashan HaKodesh. Do we save them? This could go as a question of Kodav Huna or Rav Chista, meaning we can't align their opinions. And so Rav Chista is liberal and says we say, yeah, save everything, we'll save these. Rav Huna says, no, we don't save these because we don't save uh, the other languages. It doesn't work. Maybe you don't save them because they're written in another script and language. But here where they're written in Lashon HaKodesh, we do save them. And then we can go the opposite direction. Even according to that's when they're written in with the proper ink. To Mikayim, it's going to last. Since it's not going to last, we don't save it. Which means we're putting another uh, an, a utilitarian component even to Rav Chista and saying since it won't last and it won't be able to be used later, there's no reason to save it now and violate Shabbat partially. Amarle in Matzilin. Rabbi Rav Huna's answer was we do not violate Shabbat to save them. Hi, Rav Huna had a brighter that said Matzilin. Said, if you have a bright, I have a bright. I can't contest that. So my Tanya, what was the bright? Amravashi Kiritanya. She said, this is the bright. I mean, it wasn't explicit. We had to figure it out. Take Tuva Ashurit Al Sefer Uvidyo. 
Ebrita, which is parallel, parallels the Mishnah towards the end of the first parak of uh, Megillah, says the only difference between Sifrei Torah and Megillah is that Sfarim can be written in any language. There's the issue of Yivanit and the story of Talmai HaMelech and that Gemara. And Megillah has to be written in Ashurit, on a scroll, and Bidyo. The implication is that other Sfarim don't have to be written Bidyo, and at least they have Kedushat Sefer Torah written with another kind of ink. Oh, and that would be his source for saying Matzilin. So he asked Nachman. Let's say the Sefer Torah, and it's eroded, so there's less than 85 letters left throughout the Sefer Torah. Do we save it? Why 85 letters? Because the smallest significant piece of Torah that we have is the two psukim at the end of Bamid Bayod, Vahibin Sa'aron of Nuchoyomar, which together made eight, our 85 letters. And we regard that as, almost as a minimal book, as we'll see in, uh, in a minute. Gufa. Why didn't you ask the simpler question? What happens if you have just Parshat Vahibin Sa'a and one letter is missing, which means you have less than 85? So he answered, In a case where you have Vahibin Sa'a minus one letter, Lokem Baile, I wouldn't ask. The came the Ipe has Karot. There's two mentions of Hashem's name. So therefore, if one letter is missing, at least one of the Shemot, if not both of them, is there. And of course, I forgot the late page one of Shotiot. Of course, I'll save it because of Shem Hashem. Matzilin. I'm asking the question about Sefer Torah Shem Bo where you can't collect 85 letters, meaning all around, everything's uh, uh, eroded to the point where you, if you counted up all the letters, you get 84 letters or less. My. Amale and Matzlin. We don't save it. Eitave, watch this challenge. If you have Targum, meaning something in Aramaic that was written in Hebrew, or vice versa, or it was written in the script, Paleo-Hebrew script, we save it. And certainly, the Aramaic, which is in Ezra, about half of Ezra, and the sections in Daniel, and a Targum in the Torah, we save it. Now, we then note, what's the Targum in Torah? It's two famous words that Lavan referred to the pile of rocks that he made with Yaakov as Yegor Sahaduta, a pile of testimony, <clears throat> a rock of testimony. And how many letters are there? There's nine letters there. So it sounds like if you just have Yegor Sahaduta written down, you'd have to save that. The answer is, All that means is if you have 80 letters, and then you got these six, well, that's your 86. So you got more than 85. But uh, nine, sorry. But if you have, <coughs> you'd have to have 85 total, uh, but these could count towards them. Um, now, when you talked about 85 letters, do they have to be in one area, like on one column, or could they be all throughout the Sefer Torah? Just count them up. Ravuna says they must be together. They could even be spread out. So, said a Sefer Torah that he wrote it, if you could somehow gather 85 letters, that is the same amount as Parshat Vahimin Soa, then we save it. And if not, not. Implying that they could be all over the place. Tiyuf to Ravuna. And Ravuna said they have to be together. It seems to be, again, refuted. 
Amar Tirgum Rav Chista, Libra Rav Huna. So Rav Chista, defending his opposite number, said the Rain Rav Huna could explain it is betevot, meaning that they, the the words could be all over the place, but they have to have complete words. So therefore, you have eighty-five letters. Could be an et here and a shamayim over there and a Yaakov over there, and together it makes eighty-five. But they have to be grouped together in words. Okay, Tani Rabbanan. These two psukim have, in the Masoretic text, backwards nun, bracketing, uh, before the first and after the second of these psukim. God told Moshe to put in these brackets, to tell you that this is not really where the parsha belongs. That's Tanakhama's position. Right observation, wrong reason. The reason that it's marked there is because it's an independent book by itself. I even saw those two psukim are a separate sefer. Now, So, who could be the author of this bright, or which one of them could subscribe to this? She has established seven pillars of wisdom. Has established seven pillars for herself, says Mishlei. Elu Sifrei Torah. The Drashai is that's the seven books of the Torah. Keman Kerebi. That follows Rebbe because you have Breshit, Shmot, Vayikra, the first ten Prakim of Bamidbar. That's four. These two Psukim, that's five. The rest of Bamidbar is six, and Dvarim is seven. So who's Rebbe's opposite number here? This parsha will eventually and someday be taken from its place and put in its proper place. Meaning it was put here and marked off with the nuns to say it doesn't really belong here. Why was it put here? To put as a buffer between Am Yisrael's bad behavior in two consecutive events. To break it up. This is very simple, because the people were murmuring, and then they were mitavim, and then the slav, and that's where everything kind of spirals down. What's the one beforehand? They traveled from God's mountain. As they start to travel, and the, but there's a drush on that, that is saru. That they moved away from God, like the Midrash says, like a kid running away from school. Where's the real place it belongs? Move it back one chapter to the description of how B'nai Israel marched, and which belongs there with how they marched, with the Aron in front, going to war, would then fit. Okay, we'll pause at this point, we'll pick it up on Daf Kuftet Zayin and Aleph with the... Uh, and the, the conclusion of our analysis of this first part of Mishnah Aleph. In the meantime, we should have a wonderful day.